morning, everybody. Before we start this morning, I would like to uh, give a special welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Paul Smith. Stand up, you two. Come on. I want I want you to see what a couple that's been married for two weeks looks like. <laughs> Congratulations. Good to have you guys back. This morning's message is as much for me as it is for you. So I want you to remember that. And if it doesn't mean anything to you, you'll know at least that I've been ministered to. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of your word that speaks to so many realities of our lives. We pray, Father, that your word this morning would truly be living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And to minister to our spirits. That it would penetrate our hearts and our minds. And Father, that it would mold us. Well, I love these newspaper headlines. Enjoy them with me. This one, Police Begin Campaign on Jaywalker. Experts say school bus, school bus passengers should be belted. I dropped off shelf. Think about it. Teacher strikes idle kids. That probably was Chicago, right, recently? Enraged cow injures farmer with axe. How many times do you have to tell farmers to keep their axes away from the cows? My goodness. Juvenile court to try shooting defendant. You know, I, I, I really bad when you got to explain the jokes or you know. But let me let me just say, you know, it's it depends on which where you put the emphasis on the right syllable, right? Okay. Okay, just, just in case you're missing these, or maybe they're just not as funny as I thought they were. How about this one? Deer kill, 17,000. Must be Bambi's revenge. Man struck by lightning faces battery charge. Local dropouts cut in half. Now, if that's not an incentive to stay in school, I don't know what is. New vaccine may contain rabies. I don't want to get rabies. I'm not taking that vaccine. Drunk gets nine months in violin case. That would probably qualify as cruel and unusual punishment. Stolen painting found by tree. That's a smart tree. And war dims hope for peace. You think? Now, these were supposedly real headlines, actually. Some editor really messed up somewhere. But most of the time, the news headlines that we read in the newspaper every day, are not nearly that funny. Here are a few stories and headlines that came across just these past few weeks. Russia says Iranian nuclear deadlock risks military strike. That's, that's a scary scenario, isn't it? Afghanistan, bombers kill 14, including three U.S. troops. How about this one? Very familiar in the last few weeks. Anti-American protests flare beyond the Mideast. It would be very easy to watch or to read the news in our world or even to simply consider the challenges in our own lives as individuals to feel like giving up, to feel like giving in to despair. After the death of the U.S. ambassador in Libya uh, a month or so ago and watching the explosion of anti-American sentiment around the world, I have to admit to battling some of these feelings of just wanting to give up, to give in to despair. 
you know, we see the challenge of radical Islam around the world, and it looks insurmountable. We see the growing acceptance of evil in our culture, and that's pretty disturbing to most of us as believers, not to mention the personal challenges that so many of us face. It sometimes makes me want to quit resisting, just to kind of go into my hidey hole. Now, I'm not defending this perspective at all. I'm just confessing that those feelings can sometimes assault me. Now, interestingly enough, it reminded me of a series of scenes in Star Trek. How many of you have seen Star Trek Next Generation? Have you seen some? So many of you have seen that, maybe not all of you. There's a series of scenes, series of episodes that include a species called Borg. You know, remember the Borg? If you don't know who the Borg are, let me just set this up for you briefly. The, the clip we're about to see is the captain of the Starship Enterprise, and he is taken captive by the Borg, and he is assimilated. And it's one of the scariest scenes from Star Trek, so let's take note of that. Okay, the key phrase here is resistance is futile. In the TV series and in the movies, if you saw some of the movies, the Borg are in at least one of the movies, the Borg are presented as the very scary and very powerful, almost unconquerable enemy. They're the ones who will enslave anyone they come across without mercy. There's no diplomacy with the Borg. There's no idea of getting along. There's no idea of peaceful coexistence. The Borg just want to assimilate you, and that means they make you a Borg, and they don't negotiate. They start out by telling you that resistance is futile, and then it goes downhill from there. The Borg are not a good thing. When you see the Borg coming, it's pretty scary. There are a lot of things in our lives and in our culture that can come across as the Borg in our modern day, things that make you feel like resistance is futile. They can be big things, macro things, big picture things that seem to impact the whole world or the nation, or they can be more micro things, local things, things that really maybe only impact you and me or you and me and our family or our friends. Regardless, these things can lead to despair. They can lead to hopelessness. And we can give in to the thinking that Captain Picard as a Borg just said there, resistance is futile. Now, I'm not talking about resisting Islam. I'm not talking about resisting gay rights. I'm not talking about resisting abortion kind of on a macro scale. Nor am I talking about resisting things like a grave illness or some other problems on a more personal level. In each of these things, a form of resistance may or may not be appropriate. This morning, 
I'm talking more about the attitude of our hearts. I'm talking about our ability to trust in or not trust in our great God. I'm talking about resisting despair about anything. Resisting that very natural, very human reaction of fear. Resisting that urge that we often have to just go with the flow and give up. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't give in. Don't give in to despair and hopelessness. Because, I have to tell you, resistance is not futile. Now, without the perspective that the Word of God can provide for us, it's easy for us to become hopeless. It's easy for us to despair of ever seeing anything good or positive or hopeful. The world, honestly, if we look at it, it can look like a pretty hopeful, hopeless place, can it? It's kind of a place of nothing but losing battles. Sometimes it seems like that, doesn't it? Where's God? Where is God in all this stuff? We, we wonder that sometimes. What we must remember is something that we're going to discover this morning as we get into the Word of God. God's still on the throne. And He wins in the end. Which means that we, as followers of the King of Kings, we win too. Let's start by reading our primary text this morning. If you have your Bibles, you might turn to Psalm 46. You know, I thought it might have helped somebody if they had a Bible on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise when uh, Captain Picard said that resistance is futile. They could have read this passage of Scripture to him. Psalm 46, it's the whole psalm, so bear with me as we read through the 11 verses in this psalm. And if you have your Bibles, read along with me. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage The kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's what the psalmist tells us. So let's consider with the psalmist some of the real life experience in these verses. Let's also ponder with the psalmist the reality of the spiritual truth that accompanies these real life experiences. We start with and end with the marvelous reality of God's strength, of his presence in the midst of the trials and storms of our lives that buffet our spirits and wear us down. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our fortress. He's our refuge. God's our refuge, not our houses or our hidey holes not our guns or our money or our jobs or the economy, not 
any place on earth we might feel relatively safe from the world's troubles. He and He alone is our place of trust. What's more, He's not just our place of trust, He's our strength. Let's face it, we're weak, aren't we? Anybody want to admit to that this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine. We're weak, aren't we? Especially we face life's trials. But He is our strength. He's our refuge and strength and fortress. Even when chaotic things are happening. Picture with the psalmist the worst that could happen. We read in uh, verse 2 and 3, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. That's kind of scary. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then a few verses later, we read, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Now, in the last few years, cataclysmic earthquakes and tsunamis? Haven't we seen hurricanes? Haven't we seen natural disasters? What's more, Watch the news just in the last few weeks. We relate to the idea of nations raging and kingdoms tottering. Isn't that a description of what's been in the news just the last few weeks? We're seeing it with our own eyes in our own time. And so did the psalmist. And likely this was a firsthand experience for the psalmist. He was describing the things that he was seeing in the earth. Yet in verse 2 we read this, We will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength. In verse 6, right after observing the raging nations and the tottering kingdoms, the psalmist compares what a somewhat frightening reality with the same God who's our refuge and strength. Again, in verse 6, we read, He utters His voice, the earth melts. So you have all these weird, chaotic, crazy things happening, but He utters His voice, and the earth melts. And later we read in verse 8, Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. In verse 9, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, and sh- or the bow, and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So it's clear what we're seeing here is a startling comparison. It's a comparison between things that we think are big and scary. But to our great and mighty God, these things are not big and scary at all. He's the one who can melt the earth with his voice. In fact, these things are not only not big and scary to God, but by comparison, they're kind of puny and unimpressive. We see that also echoed echoed in uh, Psalm 2, where it says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. And here's what it says about God. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. This is one of many places where we clearly see the perspective that God wants us to constantly remember. He wants us to remember, remember. Now, at the beginning of the fall semester every year of Bible Bowl, I tease the Bible Bowl kids that after about six months of little or no scriptural memory that our brains leak. And we play with that idea a little bit. Our brains leak, you know. 
Those scriptures that you memorized last semester, they're bleak. We forget, don't we? Over time, through the daily discourse of life, and especially when we're beaten down by the challenges of the world, we forget important things. One of the most important things we forget, and thus we need these remember, we need these regular reminders of, is the comparative greatness of God versus the smallness of this world. We see it in God's response to Job's complaint about his suffering. Remember that? And we see it in another place where the Bible tells us God laughs at the puny machinations of man. We also see it in Isaiah chapter 40 where God speaks through the prophet and tells his people in Isaiah 40 verses 12 through 14, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? What we're talking about here is something God sees that we don't see. That's the big picture, right? God sees what we cannot see. We tend to have blinders on. All we can see is what's in front of us. That's especially true when we're having a hard time in our lives, right? This challenge puts this blinder on. This challenge puts this blinder on. You know how they use blinders on horses. That's because they want them to focus on the run that's before them and not the distractions of the crowd or the people around or the horses running next to them. Well, very often we have blinders on too. And in our case, what we need is God's help to take them off. Our blinders are there because of what we experience when we see the state of our nation or our world and the evil in the world and the suffering and the trials of life. Sometimes, again, that's all we can see. That's all we can see. That's why we need these kinds of passages of Scripture. They help us take the blinders off to some degree. You know, that doesn't mean we can see the big picture then like God can see the panorama of our lives and human history that God sees. But when, we, when God takes those blinders off, at least that allows us to see from Scripture that God does see and understand, even we don't, even when we can't. Because he sees and understands, and because he's omnipotent, that means he can do whatever he wants to do and whatever needs to be done to accomplish what he desires. And because he's holy, and because that holiness is full of grace and mercy, meaning that all he does is loving and just and righteous, we can absolutely trust in him. We can trust enough to hide in him. We can trust him to be our refuge, to be our strength. We can trust him to be a fortress against the storms of life, a very present help in trouble. A big part of the reason we can find refuge and strength is because of what the psalmist writes in verses 10 and 11 of Psalm 46 here. He writes, be still, this is quoting God here, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still 
he writes. In other words, relax, chill out, rest in, rest in the refuge and strength of God. He's our fortress. We can resist fear. We can resist despair, even when the battle is raging all around us. Whether this is international, national, local, or very personal, we are safe in him. Add to that the reality of God's ultimate triumph. We're not just safe in him today. We're safe in him for eternity. That's another big picture idea, okay? When we're in the midst of suffering or trials, it seems they'll never end. But a big picture perspective, an eternal perspective, tells us exactly what the psalmist tells us here. And we will pause for station identification. And see if I can look just as cool as Jim Grinnell when he uses this. And Jim's shaking his head, no, that ain't happening. Which I'm not surprised. And, and he's probably right. Yeah, and Larry says I have to sing now. We're definitely not going to do that. So here's the idea. God will be exalted. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. God's triumph, God's victory is inevitable. It's inevitable. Whether it looks like that today or not, do you ever get involved in a good novel or a story and you want to leap ahead to the end to see how it turns out? Well, I want to do that sometimes, but I never do that because I kind of like the idea of what's so engaging about those stories is the getting there, right? But I do, it does make me want to read faster when I'm wondering what is going to happen at the end. I'm very anxious to know how things turn out. In the case of this life in Christ, it's okay, it's even advantageous to skip to the end of the story, unlike maybe the novel that you're reading. That's because in the end, God wins. God wins. And because He wins, we win. In the last chapter of the last book of our Bibles, we read what John the Revelator writes, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any thing accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's the end of the story, folks. And the end of the story is just the beginning of eternity. Isn't that a great thing to think about? When we look ahead to the end of the story, what we do is we confirm what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46. God will be exalted. God will be glorified. But today, in the midst of our troubles, life's troubles, sometimes we have to admit that's harder for us to see. So we need hope. 
We need the hope that the Holy Spirit brings. We need the hope that's revealed in the Word of God. Perhaps the single most significant reason we can have hope is also stated in a little bit different way in this psalm. We've read that God is our refuge. We've read that He's our strength. We've seen that He's our fortress. We've read that we can relax, that we can be still, we can rest in these great truths about God, despite what's ever happening around us. But why? Why is this true? We read in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now, here's what I want you to notice about these couple of verses. God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of the people of this city. Now, in the Old Testament, God was in the midst of his chosen people, the Jews. There was a very real, very visible presence of God. It was the Shekinah glory. God made his home on earth among the Jews, and that fact alone was a refuge, a strength, a fortress to God's chosen people. But as Jim Garrett has emphasized before, you've heard this before, God doesn't live in a sanctuary made by human hands anymore. That's why we can have our Sunday morning service in this room, which we call an auditorium, not a sanctuary. And we can also have Bible Bowl in here on Sunday night when we run around and play games and act goofy. Acting goofy and playing games in the Old Testament sanctuary was a death sentence. You wouldn't have wanted to do that in the sanctuary. You would never would have had Bible Bowl in the sanctuary of the Old Testament. That's because the sanctuary was a very specifically set-apart place to display the visible presence of God. So fun and games were inappropriate there. They were unacceptable. But today, for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's home, God's sanctuary, if you will, is the human heart. Now with that in mind, let's read again, again this passage from Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So the holy habitation of the Most High is in you and me. God's in the midst of us because he's here by his Holy Spirit in you and his Holy Spirit in me. Now let's not overanalyze this because clearly the word also teaches that God is present and he's also at work in places where there are no believers in Christ. Yet consider the significance of this New Testament reality. A God who resides in the hearts of his people. To me, that makes these words, God is our refuge and our strength, even more powerful, even more hopeful, even more comforting. God's in our midst. His home is inside our heart. What or whom shall I fear? If that's true, if you believe that's true, what do I have to fear, right? We see in Psalm 46 how this is true in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God through Christ is in us in the heart of every believer. And if you study the book of Hebrews, you know that one of the major points of that book in our New Testament is that we now, what we now have in Christ is greater than what they had, even though what the Jewish people had was quite amazing. And sometimes if we're honest in the midst of these things, we too have to be challenged in our thinking. We too must be persuaded again and again 
of the truth of God's promises. So Psalm 46 isn't just an Old Testament theme. God's protection, his strength, his being the source of our refuge. Here's how the Apostle Paul said some similar things in Romans chapter 8. In verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in verse 35, he writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then verses 37 through 39, he writes, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else at all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's our fortress. Nothing can separate us from that, from the love of Christ. One of the things about this psalm and the passage that we just read in Romans that's very helpful to me is that this is real. This is genuine. There's no kind of a pie in the sky, everything in your life will be perfect mentality in these passages of Scripture. It tells us the truth about our present reality. We do suffer. Nations do rage. Kingdoms do totter. Natural disasters do happen. There is distress. There is persecution. There is danger. So this is a psalm that gives us real hope, not false hope. Our hope is not in our circumstances, but in God who is our refuge and our strength. God who is with us. Now one of the realities we have to wrestle with in this life is that there's an already, not yet, aspect of tension in the Scriptures. For example, it says God is our fortress, present tense. God is a very present help in times of trouble, present tense. It also says God will be exalted, future tense. God will make wars cease, future tense. We don't hope in Christ only because of what He gives us today. What He gives us today is marvelous. He gives us His strength, His very presence, which makes Him our fortress, which makes Him our refuge. Yet, what we have to look forward to is so much greater. In Hebrews, we read in verse 1, Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then later in the same chapter, after we read several verses about the many heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, we read this in verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. So there's really an aspect of waiting and hoping involved in trusting God, isn't there? And making God our refuge and our strength and our fortress. There's a very close alliance in Scripture between waiting and hoping. We see, for example, in Psalm 33:20, 20, 
We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Psalm 130, verse 5, we read, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I have put my hope. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in Titus 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So think about this. Whatever we're troubled by, whether it's the seemingly insurmountable problems of our world or a seemingly insurmountable problem in our own lives, let's determine by His grace to wait hopefully for the Lord. Let's determine to remember that He and He alone is our refuge. He and He alone is our strength. He and He alone is our fortress. Some of you may be familiar with a Christian author named Randy Alcorn. He has a ministry called Eternal Perspective Ministries. And I think that is a really appropriate name for what we're talking about here this morning. Let me read an extended quote from him. Hang in there with me. It'll be on the screen if you want to read along. Sometimes we make the foolish assumption that our Heavenly Father has no right to insist that we trust Him unless He makes His infinite wisdom completely understandable to us. What we call the problem of evil is often the problem of our finite and fallen understanding. Gregory Boyd writes, it's very difficult to see how some of the most horrendous episodes of evil in this world contribute to a higher good. His conclusion is therefore that they don't. I agree it's very difficult to see. It may well be impossible to see. But the question isn't whether we can see it, but whether God can do things we cannot see. Not only Scripture, but human experience sometimes testifies to the surprising good God can bring out of evil and suffering. God calls upon us to trust that He'll work all evil and suffering in our lives for good. We can learn to trust God in the worst of circumstances, even for what we cannot currently see. Indeed, that's the very nature of biblical faith. Is it possible that all past, present, and future suffering is somehow necessary for God to accomplish the greater good His people will enjoy for all eternity? If you think this cannot be the case, why? If you're certain it can't be, have you never been wrong? We who have not formed galaxies and quasars and fashioned worlds shouldn't be so quick to tell God how to run His universe. In our times of suffering, God doesn't give us answers as much as He gives us Himself. And already in the Bible, He has revealed more than enough of Himself to give us solid reasons for faith, yet not enough to make faith unnecessary. One of the things I learned in studying for this message is that this psalm was the inspiration for Martin Luther when he wrote the hymn that he's probably best known for writing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In fact, Luther was known to say in times of trouble, he said, come let us sing the 46th psalm and let the devil do his worst. We're going to close with that song this morning accompanied by a video. So I want you to listen or sing along if you want. I want you to pray. I want you to seek the Lord. But allow this to be a prayer of declaration. Maybe you feel a need for refuge today. Maybe you feel the need for His strength in your life. If you don't, good, but you will. Maybe you want to still your heart in peace before God and trust Him 
You want to be still and know that he is God because he's your fortress against the troubles of life. So listen, pray, and respond this morning as God would have you as we listen together.